Hello, everybody, and welcome to another scintillating, exciting, red-hot episode of the Chocolate Bros Podcast. Oh, it's smoking <laughs> hot in here, Adam. It's red hot. Yes, sir. Woo. Love it, man. All it's right. And you're steamy. Here, you're jungle here with, hot. You're here jungle hot. hot. Jungle hot? Guys, like, come on now. We're not... Is it so hot in the jungle that things start glowing red? Absolutely. And by the way, we're not new at this. Let's not step all over each other. I blame myself for that, but I'm talking to myself here. So let's do this. Let's 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 do this right, Adam. All right, bro. So you're here with the Chocolate Bros, Brian and Adam. We're the owners of Fortunato Chocolate. Check us out at fortunatochocolate.com. Purveyors of fine chocolate using Peruvian cacao. Chocolate mm-hmm. chocolate is made at a hundred year old Swiss chocolate making factory in the Swiss Alps. Absolutely. And you the can chocolate, buy it online and it is delicious. The chocolate is delicious. The cacao comes from Northern Peru. It's a variety called Nacional Puro. Uh, it's pure because it's been genetically tested and it has been shown scientifically proven science, Adam. This science. is not my, this is not me just supposing that it's the fact this is science. This is done by the uh, ARS, the alternative research service lab by the USDA or agricultural research, agricultural, you're right. Agricultural research service lab, uh, in Beltsville, Maryland, one of the premier genetic, uh, plant laboratories in the world, if not the premier, and they have, uh, uh, done what those scientists do. Uh, the boffins as the, as the British call them, they've dissected or otherwise cut into tiny little pieces. The little, I'm sure that's what they do over there. They got the leaves and then they do some kind of sciencey thing with them i was going to say black magic but it's science not magic and then they and then they know what they know and they what they know is that our cacao is absolutely pure national cacao the purest ever found there's men and women with phds mm-hmm. they're geneticists i've, I've met you. them lindel meinhardt sweet people zheng dapeng lindel meinhardt these yeah. are people with doctors doctor they're doctors they're, they're doctors. doctors they're doctors of genetics Doctors got, of philosophy with specialties in genetics, I, PhD. I, I got to imagine there's peach, there's a ton of Petri dishes over there. Oh, Bunsen burners and Petri All dishes. That, yeah, yeah, All yeah that kind of absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, good times. So this is part three of a series of, of shows we've been doing on the entire chocolate making pro, um, process. That's I had right. a customer named Greg write us, real sweet guy. And mm-hmm. he said, hey, I love the fact that y'all are always talking about what you do in Peru mm-hmm. and how you ferment and dry cacao beans. But how come you don't let us take a peek under the hood at, at the chocolate making process in Switzerland? Yes. He actually mentioned that he thought we were keeping it secret intentionally. And I think <laughs> that we have now fully dispelled that assumption. No, no. Actually, by the way, Greg, I want to confirm for you. That is absolutely correct. Everything that we've had in the last two episodes <laughs> is completely false. We're just throwing you further off the trail. We this are. has no bearing to reality. The truth is... They have a big machine. It's a box, basically, and it's impenetrable. And inside that box are gnomes, Swiss gnomes. And they put the beans in one end, the chocolate comes out the other, and no, no living human knows what goes on inside the box. They only know that the gnomes are in there. They demand that the beans go in one end, and they put the chocolate did, out on the other end. Did you did you uh, ever get into watching the movie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when you were I younger? Like, I like that. Are you talking about the original or the, the original? Version? The original. The original. Seen them both. Both yeah. good movies. In, in the original, uh, Willy Wonka has this rival named Duckworth, I think is his name. I don't recall. I think that his name's following. Duckworth. He's always finding all, the ki- all these kids and offering them money to see if they will divulge the secret mm-hmm. of the everla- everlasting gobstopper. The everlasting gobstopper. That, 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 that's a gobstopper that does not. So it, it goes in. Laughing. And I, I remember in the movie, it goes into this secret mm-hmm. production line. Right. And there's honking. And there's like an And then it comes out the other side as the everlasting gobstopper, a candy you can suck on forever, but it never. Mm-hmm. But at the end, it turns out that Ducksworth was a, was a double agent. He actually worked mm-hmm. for Willy Wonka. Uh-huh. And he was trying to judge whether or not these kids would actually protect the secrets if you turn the factory over to them. Wonka was a sly one. And likewise, this is a whole Duckworth operation. Absolutely. Yeah, on behalf of Max Felkland AG, we're throwing everybody off the scent. That's right. False flag. But here's what you <laughs> here's what you didn't know until now, Adam. I'm not actually working for Felkland. I work for the gnomes. Oh, <laughs> I work for the gnomes, Adam. Which That's- means what's going to follow on this podcast. There's no reason for you to even really keep listening. <laughs> now, that <you> know, <laughs> now that you know, it's all, right. you know, it's all, it's all smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a deep dive into the copper manometer tubing uh, that, that circles on the outside of the gnome box. And I mean, we're going to dive deep into the chemical, the molecular composition. No, 
If you've ever wondered what shoes those gnomes are wearing, they're wooden clogs. You don't have to wonder. They have the wooden clogs with the little curly Q toe tips yeah, on them. Yeah. That's, uh, come on, Adam. You're, you're delving into the known. Well, what you do is you give away you give away a piece of information. And uh, you, make, you make it sound like you're giving away something good, but really it's common knowledge. That's why you're sly and I'm not. So in a, I'm in a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Since, no, no. You got a multi-level. multi-level. For, those who, for those who listened to this, la, to our last podcast, similar to the way that Falkland has a separate grinding process for each sized nib. Mm-hmm. I'm working on many levels here, many levels okay. of deception. Multi-level. And among those levels, the next level, Adam, your next <laughs> level, baby. Yeah. I love it. I Very love good. it. All right. So where we left, where did we leave off? Where we left so off, we left we, off on winnowing, right? Yeah. So the, the, the winnowing process is where the shell or the chaff is separated from the bean itself, the broken little bits of bean. And at the end of that process, what you get are four sizes of nib. We took a little bit of an excursion into the uses of nibs and, uh, and, and sold those, uh, the, the, the joys of nibs to the folks out there. And I reiterate that those nibs are in stock available and absolutely delicious in their way. They're not chocolate. They're not sweet. Um, but they're full, they're packed full of flavor and they're crunchy and they add amazing texture and flavor and super food. to other things. Yeah. An absolute superfood. Yeah. Very nutritious. Magnesium, manganese, iron, protein, they've fiber, they've got all this amazing, amazing Antioxidants. Stuff. Yep. Yep. They do have that. So the ORAC scores off the off the charts. Adam. I love those ORAC scores. Those are pretty cool. I don't know the ORAC scores or nibs, but I'm gonna tell you right now, they're pretty darn high. They're high yeah. ORAC scores. Yeah. 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 No, they're good. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're ORAC positive. Mm-hmm. That's if, that's, right if that's a way you can say that. ORAC-alicious. <laughs> yeah. ORAC-tastic. <laughs> nice. All right. Absolutely. So, oh, hey, right. hey, speaking of band names, mm-hmm. what do you think about ORAC-tastic? <laughs> I don't like it. Be yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care for it. <laughs> All right. Every song, every song will be about antioxidants. That's right. Every time you've got a vitamin, vitamin A. Bow, bow. That's right. <laughs> Good time. So, yeah. Uh, so what you end up with are big bins full of nibs uh, in four different sizes from small, medium, small, medium, large, medium to large. And the reason they do that is because the next step is grinding and it's appropriate to have the nibs size. Now this, by the way, everything that we're describing is something that takes place in an industrial, a large industrial type uh, facility that has, you know, really, really top notch equipment, European made top notch equipment. Um, A a small scale craft chocolate maker is going to have a whole different type. And we can talk about that after we can probably do um, that in another episode. Yeah. On another episode, we'll talk a little bit about some of the differences in the machinery and the outcomes. Um, But so in this case, they, you go now from nibs to grind. And what you want to do is uh, grind. And these nibs are, you know, maybe a 32nd of an inch in, in millimeters. They'll be from one to maybe four millimeters uh, in diameter. They're little craggy little chunks of, of roasted cocoa bean. Um, and the idea is to get them into a, into like a paste. Um, the, the first step in grinding is to get them into a paste. And then you want to continue to grind them and get those particle sizes further and further and further smaller until it's actually a liquid, a very high viscosity, a very smooth flowing liquid where the particle size is very small. And that's called chocolate liquor. So the first thing you want to do is get to chocolate paste. And the first thing you do there is a coarse grind. Now, there are many machines that do a coarse grind, but the best one is called a roller mill. And a roller mill consists of um, large, probably 14 inch diameter, long, probably six foot long um, rollers, uh, cylinders that are made of a very tough food grade, almost impossible to, to, to damage food grade, um, like, uh, like a really, really hard plastic. Um, and I should mention that between once those nibs come out of that sizer, they go again through a magnetic machine 
which just in case any piece of non-bean material has managed to pass this far, it's likely to be a ferrous or magnetic rock. They go through a, a little sieve that has uh, magnetic um, bars on it that would attract any, because this next step, you can't have any extraneous material in there. At this point, if there's anything extraneous in there, it's going to really damage the machinery. Yeah, right, right. Uh, Whatever goes through there has to has to be able to be, be We're talking about and broken. Or- talking about a two or three million dollar machine that this is about to go through this roller mill so what you have are these big cylinders that roll very fast around and there are a series of i believe it's a seven roller so there are seven of these cylinders so imagine one big cylinder 14 inches in diameter and then right next to it another one and you can adjust the distance between them and so they would set the they would set this machine so that and then and so the 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 these nibs are going to pass through two rollers and then up through another two rollers and up through another two rollers each time the distance the aperture between those cylinders gets a tiny little bit smaller. And what these and, things, and, and what what makes the nib grab the the roller? It doesn't really grab the roller. You don't want it to grab the roller. The Is roller, like, but how's it come down and come back up? Oh, it's pressure fed. It's, it's pressure fed. There's nowhere else for the nib to go. It gets fed in between. It backs up a little on the, on the top side of the, uh, you know, uh, so, and what you've got is um, these rollers are going in, in different directions. So they're in opposite directions. They're like this, right? And so the, the motion of the rollers will cause the, you know, and, and so the, 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 the path of the nibs goes down through one set of rollers and then up through another set of rollers and down through another set. And you said um, that the aperture keeps getting smaller and smaller? The aperture keeps getting smaller and smaller. And that aperture is adjustable. This machine is also has a programmable logic chip or PLC that controls it. And they can set it for the type of nib that's going through. So if it's if they've got nibs that are sized to an uh, average of four or five millimeters, the first aperture is going to be 3.5 millimeters. So this and is where the, that so this is where the sizing comes in. This is where the sizing comes in. So if you've got a bunch of nibs that are one millimeter in diameter and it's going through an aperture, they're not even going to touch anything until you know, the third roller. So you don't want to waste that mechanical energy. And I think actually, now that I'm remembering, I believe there is not a vertical it's, it's, it's not horizontal. It's vertical. They pass like this. Uh, Yeah. So there's also a gravity feed now that I'm remembering. Yeah. That makes, that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's a gravity feed. So these rollers go fast. So what, what happens is the cacao is a solid crunchy bunch of nibs and then it passes through these six apertures. And maybe how, how, how wide did you say they are? Well, I, so like I, these the the cylinders themselves are like fourteen or fifteen inches in diameter. They're big. Oh, that's huge. and they're wide. Oh, yeah. yeah, and they're like six feet wide. There's a, a so it's got a high, very high pass through capacity. It's got a very high and this and these things are are spinning fast. Yeah, yeah. And so the the nibs they like I say they start as nibs and they pass through this thing in maybe 15, 20 seconds. And by the time they come out, they're paced. They're 20 paced. seconds later, they're paced. And so this is a machine that is absolutely magnificent. It takes these solid, crunchy, hard. I mean, you can't squeeze a nib between your fingers and crack no. it. Break. Nope. You can chew it, but it's 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 like a very hard, think of the cereal grape nuts for folks that haven't tried our nibs. It's like yeah, that. Yeah, that's how I describe it too, texturally. Yeah, they can be they can be hard to chew sometimes. They can uh, because there's little bits in there. The cotyledon of the of the seed, the germ uh, of the seed, is actually a tiny little a tiny little future trunk of a tree, and it's notably harder than the rest. Um, and this machine just savagely lays waste to these nibs and turns them into paste uh, very quickly. So this machine it makes a lot of sound. Um, and like I say, they've got a big hopper and they have a, 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 a sort of a conveyor. They'll take this bin and they'll put it and they'll dump it into a hopper. And then the conveyor will convey it up to the top. And then the, the nibs will go through the, all the different apertures between the cylinders. And it comes out as a sort of a slurry or paste. It's about the consistency when it comes out of that of, oh gosh, what's something similar to that consistency? Um, peanut butter? No, it's peanut butter's thicker. Uh, this is more liquidy than peanut butter. This is more uh, liquidy than peanut butter. This is like, have you ever had ice cream that's about well, half well, melted? Yeah, what about a milkshake? Yeah, like that. 
Yeah, okay. that's that's right. That's yeah. a better that's a better description. It's like a milkshake, and just like a milkshake has crystals of ice that you can kind of detect with your tongue, but it's basically a liquid. So just those rollers, just just that roller mill gets it that liquefied. Absolutely, yes. It's well, a, it's and, a, and you know cacao has a lot of fat in it, so that makes sense. Right, and the fat right. is starting to also get sort of mixed in and well distributed among the solids at this point. So, so it goes from, and I believe if I remember, bro, is this a continuous maybe, line? Yes, this is a it continuous is. cycle. So machine. This, the separation happens, and then they like it gets separated somehow. This is a, a continuous a continuous processor. Uh, I mean, it doesn't run twenty four hours a day, and there's yeah, always yeah. nibs going. They change. They they depending cycle uh, yeah, it. depending on the origin that's going through there and all that. Also, right? and they'll right. and they'll clean it out with cocoa butter in between uses so that oh, they, they don't with it cocoa butter. flavor. Yeah, cool. the, almost all chocolate machinery is cleaned in between batches with cocoa butter if you're making the kind of chocolate where the flavor is very different from one origin to the next in Falkland is. So yeah, they'll yeah. stop and clean this thing with cocoa butter before they run another batch. But that's why they do, that's time consuming and expensive. So that's why they process in large quantities, large yeah. batches. So for them to run a batch of our beans through there takes almost no time. And at the end, what you've got is this slurry, this paste. And that paste then goes into the next part of grinding, which is a ball mill. And the ball mill is a machine that is full of um, tiny, and I'm not sure which kind of ball medium they use. It's either porcelain or steel balls. I believe they use porcelain balls um, at Falcon. This is a big machine. This is the size of a large barrel. You know, it's too big for me to get my hands around. And it's kind of a big cylinder and it's full of these balls. And I'm not sure what the mechanism, but the the balls are constantly moving fast in there and slamming. And the result is that these balls uh, and anybody can that's listening can Google a ball mill um, and it will a roller mill and a ball mill. Uh, and you'll be able to research these these machines. You may even be able to look at images of Felklands. They may have them posted somewhere. Um, but would have been some good research to do before the, the show. Yeah. Bro. Me? You're doing, yeah, all the yeah. You're doing all the talking here. I know exactly. So while I'm talking, you should be doing the research. I mean, I'm 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 carrying all the weight here, bro. I'm asking the I'm asking good questions, man. I'm are you? Though? Good, I'm asking leading questions that help you. Are you though? That help I mean, you kind of move I, things along. I know where I'm going, bro. I do mean, you? Yeah. Well, I think let's, I speak, let's pick up the pace a little bit, bro. All right. So yeah. So it's the ball mill, and then boom, <laughs> bing, bing, bam, bam, and then you got chocolate. The yeah. Yada, yada, yada. You got the chocolate. Yeah. Uh, no. So the ball mill uh, has all these tiny little balls in it and they're slamming around and it continues to great. If I'm not mistaken, as I recall from being at Falkland, when the chocolate comes out of, so I'm sorry, let me, uh, cacao's fineness is expressed in, um, microns. microns per part, the average micron per particle. And you can, um, measure that with, um, a micrometer. Uh, which is a machine that kind of looks like a C clamp and that kind of clamps down on a tiny little bit of something and it can measure the average particle size inside it. So chocolate, finished chocolate, you want the particle size, the fineness to be below 20 microns in average particle size. If it's above 20 microns, it'll start to feel a little coarse. And what does Falcon get it down to? So uh, Falcon's average is like 14. Uh, yeah. Very, very fun because they have the most amazing machinery. Well, and one thing I would point out to to our listeners is that Switzerland has a reputation for for making chocolate with tremendous mouthfeel. That's right. When you eat it, it's 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 smooth. The texture of the chocolate is in, is is an important factor for Swiss chocolate makers generally, and they have a reputation for smooth chocolate. But Falkland in particular takes it to another level and has the machines and, that way, allow them to create something. The mouthfeel, uh, people comment on it all the time. It's absolutely. Uh, yeah, right. people uh, like people come into the shop and people online comment on how smooth the texture is yeah. of a uh, number four chocolate. Their and by the way, they have to, the, their machinery is so amazing. They actually have to like limit it because they, I talked to the grinder tech, they actually can grind it all the way down to zero, at which point it becomes quantum chocolate. It would pass right through your tongue without ever touching anything. Well, and at then, that point, it exists in two different places at one time. And that's right. And you would never actually yeah. know if the chocolate was good or bad because it does not, it exists in two states at once. And until it's tasted, it does not actually become yeah, good Actually, bad. you only statistically know how good it tastes. That's right. right. Well, yeah. th so... 
they've done experiments on this. They put chocolate in a box, into quantum chocolate in a box at the Felkland factory. And there's no way to know that now that chocolate could be in the box in either of the quantum states. It's called, they call it Schroeder, Schrodinger's chocolate. Yeah, you only know statistically where it is likely to be at any given time. But you, don't, right. you couldn't actually say where it is because it doesn't actually exist. And we won't even get into the the potentially positive or negative quantum states of quantum chocolate, uh, the lepton chocolate, muon chocolate, chocolate, chocolate wormholes, chocolate quarks. We don't I mean, want to get into, yeah. No, no, but no. The, all, but, that's, but that's all real. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and by the way, I don't let the, nobody let the gnomes know that we talked yeah. about this. This is not supposed to be commented on outside the but, factory. But you know where you might want to find yourself? In a chocolate black hole. Oh boy, oh boy. Where no no chocolate can escape the event horizon. So you I've just... been right up to that event horizon, but I got to admit I just didn't have the the courage to really commit to going in there. I mean, but it probably would have been No, me. you just stay in, you're just swimming in a stream mm -hmm. of, of of chocolate for all eternity. In That's the chocolate right. in a chocolate black hole. Which is ironically, it feels like eternity to you, but if you were to come out the other end on the other side, it'd be like in no time had even passed. It's beautiful. So which brings us to the to, to the part of the conversation where we have to reflect on the nature of time itself, Adam. Yeah. Chocolate is in there somewhere. <laughs> I think, you know, I think the last frontier in physics is figuring out how chocolate works into the entire fabric of the universe. I think you're right. But for the first for today's conversation, we'll just we'll just talk, we'll just consider the nature of time to be scarce because I know you have a hard out. So we'll hey, prediction for the future, bro. Mm -hmm. AI, the AI machines, mm -hmm. they 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 discover that the fundamental building block of the universe is chocolate. Chocolate. That's absolutely correct. That's absolutely hey, you correct. heard it here. You heard it here first. You heard it first first. I mean, by the way. I'm not saying I have access to any secret diaries of uh, of, of physicists. Uh, yeah. You know, what do the famous... what do the gnomes think about all this? I can't tell you. I can't <laughs> comment about that, Adam. But let me just tell you, they've been doing their research. Yeah, okay? it's not they what have... they think about all this. It's what they know. It's what they know. Gnomes. That's exactly right. That's why they're called gnomes because they that's are in what... the know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They and spell they're... it differently. That's part of them throwing you off their scent. But that's mm -hmm. that's why the, the insiders know that gnomes is from the word no. They actually spell they it correctly. Well, they actually spell it correctly. We humans have done it the the wrong way for our own nefarious reasons. But the, yeah. the gnomes, they know what's up. They, they yeah, the, no, the gnomes spell spell the word gnome K N O W M E S. Gnomes, because <laughs> they're in the know. That's absolutely correct. That's absolutely <laughs> yeah. correct. So, leaving aside the quantum states of chocolate, we'll and talk no, only and, about and what gnomes and, know about physics and what gnomes know about physics. Yeah, and and particle physics. Um, we'll, we'll strictly talk about the physical, the physical chocolate that we manifest in this uh, physical universe in our timeline. Yeah. Newtonian uh, chocolate was we'll referred to as Newtonian chocolate. Newtonian chocolate. That's correct. Yeah. Which they typically, which they typically go to about 14 <laughs> microns. A lot of people don't know because the history has been rewritten, but you know, <laughs> an apple falling from a tree. Absolutely. But actually, um, an old lady was eating a bar of chocolate on a balcony and it fell and hit Newton in the head. That's right. They, they, well, the gnomes obviously covered that story up. But so, yeah. and by the way, for another episode, we should talk about non-Newtonian chocolate, which is really interesting because if you like put it on a speaker with a heavy bass note, you know there are non-Newtonian liquids that will actually be liquid, and then if you put it and have a certain vibration, it becomes solid. If you take non-Newtonian chocolate, Adam, it's a solid bar, and you put the bass goes the other direction, it becomes hot chocolate. It becomes hot chocolate, Adam, and you yeah. can drink it. And I know you discovered that back in your funk burn days. <laughs> Absolutely. We were doing all <laughs> kinds there, of things. There was experience. a heavy, ba heavy bass line in a lot of those songs. <laughs> heavy, heavy bass line. And so, and this is something that people don't even like to, to, to realize, but the guy who played bass in funk burn, half gnome, <laughs> half gnome, Adam. He was a gnome. He was a human gnome hybrid. That most people, people don't even know about that. For the people who haven't tuned into previous episodes, funk burn <laughs> funk band that he played in while he was in college absolutely with our number one hit burn off the funk <laughs> yeah <laughs> number, number two hit newtonian chocolate that's a, that's and right the, yeah and the bass player was it was was a gnome he was well so, it was half gnome half human he's a hybrid a hybrid gnome yeah, it was a hybrid absolutely in certain right. but i digress yeah, i digress no. adam all right so the ball mill the ball mill gets the gets the uh the cocoa paste down to i want to say between 90 and 120 microns of fineness so that's a fine i thought you said they got it down to 14 just now well this i'm talking about the first step oh, the ball Ro mill. i'm sorry the roller mill the roller mill the roller mill the paste the slurry that comes out of the roller mill it's is down to 90 90 to 120 microns of fineness okay gotcha. that is that has like you say that has kind of the consistency of um 
Yeah, of a of a it's it's more liquidy because of the fat content, but of a peanut butter, of a milkshake, maybe a like smoothie, that. maybe the liquid, maybe a smoothie. Yeah. We're thinking the smoothie, exactly, something like that. And then it goes into the ball mill, and I believe it comes out of the ball mill at something like forty microns. Oh, it comes out of the ball mill at forty. I I want to say my recollection of being there is that it comes out at about forty, and the rest is uh, the rest of the fineness is achieved in conching, which we'll talk about in a minute. So. You've got this, uh, you're taking these solid, super crunchy, hard uh, nibs and you're roller milling them and you're ball milling them and you come out with a liquid. So by, at the end of the ball mill, when they're at 40 degrees of fineness, that's, that's liquid. That's yeah, a liquid. That's a liquid. And that can be moved through tubes. And so at that point, when it comes out of the ball mill, it goes into their internal tubing system and it goes into a holding tank, which is a heated... Um, a great big tank. It's if you've ever been to a brewery, it's similar to a small beer uh, brewing tank. Um, it's probably a um, vat. It's a, it's vat. a vat. It's a vat. It's it's they call them holding tanks. It's similar to a vat. It's probably uh, another five or six feet in diameter and probably eight feet tall, something like that. And it holds, I don't know. I mean, it's probably holds a little 1200 liters or so. So maybe four or 500 gallons of, of, of uh, cocoa mass. Of cocoa mass of liquor. That's right. Yeah, yeah liquor, cocoa um, liquor. Yeah. And that they that that's heated and stirred to remain uh, to keep it in its same form. It's very slowly it's, moved, and it can stay there for it can stay there for as much as a few days while it's awaiting uh, its turn to then go through the rest of the process. Gotcha. All right. And so yeah, just pro tip for the people: if you ever were to pick up a a chocolate bar and you see one of the ingredients is cocoa liquor, mm-hmm. then that's this is what we're referring to here. That's right. And so what you've got there is a sort of an industrial product where they've taken that cocoa liquor and mixed it with other, we don't do that. Our chocolate's a little bit higher end than that, but that yeah, is, but, but if you see, yeah, if you see it, a lot of times what you'll see is something that says like chocolate and then it has in parentheses, cocoa liquor and whatever the other ingredients are. Mm-hmm. And that, that signifies that, yeah, they're, they're making their chocolate by using cocoa liquor and other ingredients, but they're not making the chocolate as a cohesive whole. Mm-hmm. So, all right, bro. Absolutely. That's right. So now you've got this, you've got this cocoa liquor and now it goes into its next cycle, which is, um, uh, the refiner or melangeur. Uh, the melangeur is a French word for, it's kind of a mixer and refiner. So this next step, there are different names for this next piece of machinery. Some people have a refiner. Some people have a melangeur. Um, some people have a refiner slash melangeur. It's basic basic purpose is to now mix the ingredients very thoroughly. So this, at this next stage, um, you would, so let's take our 68%, which is a very easy thing to do. Um, it's got a little bit of, uh, additional cocoa butter for, uh, because it's, uh, it's a couverture that's made for, um, to be friendly for pastry chefs to be able to use in recipes. So that requires a certain viscosity. So, uh, or, or, or ability to flow. You may have heard viscosity uh, for the folks who are listening in conjunction with like motor oil, you're looking for a liquid that has a a certain pattern of being able to flow, um, very easily to, to kind of fill every little crevice to coat, to coat surfaces essentially. And, uh, pastry chefs and professional, uh, chocolatiers require a certain viscosity for them to do the confections that they make with chocolate and any chocolate that has added cocoa butter, which is almost every chocolate is technically considered a couverture. Um, and so ours is, it's not most couvertures mostly refer to, to, uh, chocolates that have a lot more cocoa butter added, almost as much cocoa butter as cacao. Yeah. Ours isn't that. Ours is no. eating chocolate. Yeah, yeah. and in, in our case, the, the, I'll, I'll just, I would point out that we're using deodorized cocoa butter here. That's right. So um, it's totally flavor neutral, the cocoa butter that's getting put in. It's purely, like you said, to affect the viscosity. And it also has, in my opinion, a beneficial effect on mouthfeel as well. On the mouthfeel. And so what you said is something important, which is most people don't know. So there are a lot of subproducts of cacao that aren't chocolate. Cacao can be turned into a bunch of different things. And one thing that's fairly common in the industry is to take kind of lower end beans that aren't going to end up being super flavorful chocolate. And they take this cocoa liquor that I've just described, which is um, it, it flows like a liquid and it's probably at about 40 microns of fineness. A lot of the cacao in the world gets diverted and not made into chocolate at this stage where it's liquor. 
it gets sold a lot of times as liquor and it gets moved around the world in this stage in liquor it hardens up if you don't keep it heated yeah yeah and big huge there's huge companies out there huge that that have huge mills that just make this cocoa liquor. That's that's what yes. they exist for, and they Ecuador sell. Ecuador is famous for it. The yeah. African countries export and, a lot and, of this cocoa liquor, and they and they sell cocoa liquor to huge chocolate companies that and they cut of, it with other ingredients and mold it mm-hmm. and sell it. Right. And one of the things that is commonly done with this cocoa liquor is it goes into a butter press, and what that is, it looks like a long cylinder. And the cocoa liquor goes in and then a rod that perfectly matches the inside of the cylinder so hydraulically starts to compact this mass and it starts to squeeze out the cocoa butter. If you've, have you ever seen a, a cocoa press, a, a cocoa butter press, Adam? Not, not in person. No. It's a really impressive machine. It's loud. It goes, and then it kind of stops and it goes, and it's loud. It's hot. And it's, it's, it's hydraulically ratcheting up the pressure and squeezing this liquor and it's squeezing the butter out. The butter runs out. I mean, you can see it running out in this kind of yellow, light yellow, clear looking. It's squeezing the fat out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's similar to olive oil or coconut oil. Right. It's a press. Exactly. It's a little different in that uh, typically they, they don't have, they're not squeezing a liquid from a liquid in olive oil. They're, they're squeezing a liquid from a more, from a paste, from a solider, but Mm -hmm. Um, in this case, they're squeezing a liquid substance and they're separating one liquid. And then what remains are cocoa solids. And uh, at the end of that process where you press that out, you've got a tiny, so it started probably with, let's call it a, a, a four feet of the cylinder full of, of cocoa liquor, right? And it's pressed, 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 pressed all the fat has run out and that's cocoa butter. And what's left is what they call cake, which is a, 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 a hard, very, very tightly pressed disc, exactly the diameter of the cylinder of just cocoa solids. Um, and like I say, that is typically done with lower end chocolate. And what comes out is <clears throat> cocoa butter that tastes like lower end cacao. It might be poorly fermented. It might be bad, poorly dried. It's probably not a, a, a fine. It's definitely not a fine in flavor variety, genetic variety of cacao. And that cocoa butter then um, exists in it, with all the flavor that was in those beans. And that flavor is typically not very good. It can be very bitter, very astringent, very acidic. Um, it can be kind of really nasty stuff. Um, and a lot of, t- a lot of lower end chocolates use that, that flavored, that odorized, uh, what they call odorized cocoa butter it's just in their it's formulation. Cheap, it's cheap and they're going to cover it up with a bunch of other stuff anyways. That's right. That's yeah. right. So in the case of our chocolate, let me just they, add one other point here. Mm-hmm. I mean, cocoa butter is also used in a whole bunch of other products, cosmetics, cosmetics, beauty products, lotion, shampoo, a lot of foodstuffs. A lot um, of a lot of foodstuffs, and also cocoa butter is what's used to make white chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that cake that's left over, that becomes is, uh, cocoa powder is the primary ingredient in cocoa powder. So the point, just to go back to what Brian just just mentioned about the flavor, most of the flavor in a cocoa bean lives in the fat. The, the same as any food, a lot of the flavor is in the fat. Well, a lot of the flavor can be in the fat. So a, a lot of the good or bad flavor. You're right. Good the, or bad. Yeah, good or bad. The cocoa solids also have a lot of flavor. The cocoa solids is where that deep chocolatey cocoa yes. flavor resides. A lot of the potential for fruitiness and nuttiness and creaminess resides in the lipids and the fats. Correct. Right. And, and so by squeezing by squeezing out that fat from say like a high quality cocoa bean like the Pure Nacional that we use, right. you'd be essentially stripping it of a lot of the potential flavor. And so the, the upshot of that is a lot of times when you buy a cocoa powder from the store, it, you know, it's pretty gen- It's intentionally generic. That's right. And not only that, it's not even that pure, that pure powder. No. It goes through another industrial process called dutching, yep, which yep. is, which it uses alkali and it, that's to give it shelf stability and to make it, uh, and, and, and so it's, you know, Suffice it to say, I've stopped eating powdered supermarket. Yeah, yeah. So by the time because by the it's time, not great stuff. By the time you go buy Swiss Miss hot chocolate powder, what you got there is what you've got in a Hershey bar. It's the flavor of milk and sugar, and there's no cacao flavor. And what you wouldn't want the flavor of that cacao anyhow. It's the lowest of the low end, gross stuff. But on the other hand, if you were to come into our shop in Issaquah, 
Oh. You would get you would get chocolate made with all the cocoa butter, everything left in, and and you get the full potential. And also Peruvians, you know, Peruvians drink a, make hot chocolate with a cocoa paste. And mm-hmm. I really find find the hot chocolate that that is made in Peru or in Mexico to be to be quite satisfying as well. Quite a bit more body, quite a bit more full, more body flavorful. Flavor. Yeah. It's just a way more assertive, grown up flavor, and that's what we're 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 using. So, the, I want to get back to the the cocoa butter that is added to our chocolate is sourced from impeccable, amazing beans. In fact, I if I'm not mistaken, I believe Felkland may divert some of their high end bean flow to a factory that makes the cocoa butter from those that and, high end. And then, and then it's deodorized. And then it's deodorized. It goes through a deodorization. So if you think of uh, coffee, they have processes where they can strip the caffeine out of coffee and that's called <laughs> decaffeinated coffee. Well, they have processes where they can strip the odor bearing molecules out of cocoa butter and that's called deodorizing without affecting the other chemical properties, the fat content that it just makes it, it gives, it, it enables us to use a little bit of that to add just a little bit of fat to give it the right viscosity without affecting the flavor profile in any way. And that is an organic high end um, uh, cocoa butter that is purpose made for Felkland that is used only by them in their factory. Um, so, so it's, it's, so it's, it's so, good so, stuff. So in the melanger, then we're mixing, say in the 68%, we're mixing the cocoa liquor made from our cacao. Right. And then we're adding in the deodorized cocoa butter just a, for, yeah, just, for viscosity. Just a, just a touch, just a touch of that. And then also sugar. And at this point, and, we knew that sugar as well. That's right. In this case, it's 68% cacao. And the cacao number is always represents the, the, the amount of cocoa liquor plus any added cocoa butter, because that's considered part of the cacao. So 68% is the combined. And that means that there are 32% of sugar in our 68% dark chocolate. Now that sounds like a high number, until you realize that if you were to get a bar in the grocery store, let's call it a Hershey bar, that's probably has 11 to 14% cacao and the rest of it is milk and sugar. And that's probably, I would say a Hershey bar most likely has um, maybe 55 or 60% sugar, something I, like that. Or 50%, maybe maybe least, more. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know when the last time you had a Hershey bar was. Uh, not recently. I haven't had one, but the very last time I had one, which was maybe several years ago, like I was shocked by by how sweet it is compared to having having good chocolate. Good chocolate will spoil uh, you. It, it spoils me. It's that's it, not chocolate. It's candy. It turns you into a snob, unfortunately. Yeah, well, yeah that's what happens. Or in, or in your case, it furthers your your pretension and snobbery. I mean, I, if I, people were to meet us, they would definitely not think I was the pretentious one, bro. I'm just telling you. I don't think they'd think either of us were the pretentious nah, one. Hopefully. Sure <laughs> Damn you, Adam. <laughs> um, hey, keep it so, clean, Brian. This is a family show. <laughs> Darn you, Adam. Yeah, dang it. <laughs> D- <laughs> Consarnet. <laughs> um, so the the that that sugar. Now, here's something that most people would never think of. Sugar, we talked about the fineness, the, the fineness, which is measured in microns. Sugar is made of crystals that are, you know, a thousand microns. So you can't just dump sugar in its crystal form into the refiner. You have to pre-grind the sugar as well. So they have a separate machine that j- does nothing but grind cane sugar, organic, um, organic well high sourced, end well sourced yeah things. organic high end no it's not they don't use uh the i mean when you get talking about low end sugar they can use bone ash to separate the molasses from the sugar they can do all kind of nasty stuff to it this is organic high end minimally processed um organic cane white cane sugar um and the reason that we use white cane sugar and not brown sugar not molasses not chancaca or or panela or anything like that is because all those have a high moisture content and that moisture would spoil, would sour the chocolate, spoil the chocolate. It would make the chocolate, you can't, chocolate can't have moisture in it. I just got to point something out here, man. Mm-hmm. Now, while we're talking about that, dude, chocolate is complex. Yes. Man, yes. is it complex. It really is. It is it a really complex, is. it is a complex food. Actually, it, it, a lot of the foods we eat are extremely, are made in a very complex way. That's and right. We just, we just don't realize it because it's just hanging out at the grocery store, but just to get a, a, a 20, 1.1 pound, $20 bar of chocolate from our website, a lot of thought, so much thought, so much planning, so many little nuances and details have to be taken into consideration. It's pretty, 
all the way astounding and if you go back to the tree and bring it all the way to all the the way from the the farmer to the to to what to the to to every part that we do to what the fact the chocolate factory does it's an incredibly precise intense you're right thought goes into it but the beautiful thing is for the people that are listening they don't have to think about it i know we did it all for them all they gotta do is all they gotta do is click all they gotta do is click and it just shows up and it's delicious we got a uh we got a neighbor who who raises cattle Mm-hmm. She raises cattle and every once in a while she kills one of those cows in the, a, in the, in the pompous of Renton, Washington. And that yes. she yes. has cattle there in Renton Highlands. Where you yeah. Go? The, um, she keeps all of her cattle back over here in May Valley. Oh, okay. There's like, you, you, sometime if you ever drive down May Valley road, which okay. is a road. Oh yeah. Yeah. Road. There are parts that are still kind of, they, she, she keeps and, all yeah. of her cows out there and she butchers mm-hmm. her own cows okay. and um, she takes them to a butcher and she cuts them up and she sells little pieces. Mm-hmm. And, um, for for a pretty fair price mm-hmm. and i always remember that anytime she sells some meat to our family that we didn't have to do none of that we all we got to do is cook this and enjoy it that's right and and that's a, that's awesome <laughs> you know that's pretty yeah, awesome yeah. And because really, we're busy thinking about the chocolate she's busy thinking about the cattle to each yeah. their own expertise and, 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 special, and when you right? and when it finally comes time to pay if you you really start to remember mm-hmm. what a fair bargain it is what a fair right. what a fair price it is to get grass-fed beef or to get a really good chocolate so much thought and time and energy and capital investment is required to make it exist and you don't have to do none of that it's such mm-hmm. a good deal such yeah. a good deal yeah that's so, that's all that's all very true and so yeah yeah that, that's correct so that's one detail that that almost nobody would ever think of but the, the sugar has to be pre-ground as well and the sugar which has been ground into a very fine powder similar to what people would think of as confectioner's sugar that powdered sugar that you would that you would use for certain recipes um, that sugar will get slowly added in as well as a little bit of the cocoa butter and then it will be mixed and melanged and refined for I don't remember the amount of time that that takes um, but that at that point at that point what you've got is everything is there for that to be chocolate that that really is chocolate but it hasn't undergone the magical final step which if you don't do chocolate just doesn't taste good and the final magical step after you have grown it harvested it um there's actually two more magical steps Two more magical steps. You got, so you got, and, you got, you got, you got ahead of yourself. A little I bit. got ahead of myself. There's two more magical steps after, at this point. And it is so funny because every one of these steps is super important. And without these final two, it's all for nothing, but you've grown it. You've harvested it. You've selected out the funky stuff, drained off the juice. You've fermented it. You've pre-dried it. You've dried it, selected it again, shipped it, roasted, decontaminated it, roasted it, uh, shelled it, winnowed it, cracked it. Um, you know, uh, you've ground it, you've melanged it, Adam. You've had them a lot. Well, hey, you've refined you, and mixed it. I mean, what's 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 really interesting about all these steps that you're listing down? Mm-hmm. You're listing out every single one of them has to occur. Everyone and they and they all have to be I, done. Like if, if you skip any of them, it, it won't. You don't it have won't, chocolate. I'll be messed up. Doesn't work. You, you might end up with chocolate, but it'll it won't be good. Any one of these steps, if it goes wrong the chocolate will be messed up. That's right. And by the way, we should make a distinction here. It doesn't mean the chocolate won't taste good to somebody who likes that kind of chocolate. Yeah. If, if, if you have to do all these steps, but if in any one of these steps, if at any point, if the beans aren't as great as our beans, if the processing isn't as great as our beans, it can still go through and make chocolate. And if anybody out there is listening and thinking, well, I like Hershey bars. Hey, God bless. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's fine. Every now and then I still eat candy. I've grown, I've grown a little bit weary of sugar and can't handle the super sweet stuff. But I, every now and then I get my chocolate Jones on and I'll have a piece of candy. I mean, I have my candy Jones and I'll have a piece of candy and I'm like, man, that's sweet. But every now and then I want that sweetness. Hey man, we're, human, be- we're human beings. No Absolutely. Perfect. We're hardwired to want the sugar. So, uh, so if anybody's out there thinking, why are these guys bagging on Hershey's? I like Hershey's. Hey, we're not, we're actually well, not, we're, it's not a high quality product. And, and, but the product that makes your tongue happy and your belly happy is a great well, product and, for and let you. Me, let me point out something else about, about Hershey's that is highly miraculous and commendable. Mm-hmm. There, is, there is a Hershey's or a Mars produced can, candy chocolate bar on every shelf in every store yeah. all over the world, all day, 
every day. And it's the rarely logi- melted. It's rarely fat bloomed. I mean, it's rarely, I, you yeah. know what blows me away, man, is the logistics. And because oh. we know how hard our logistics are and we're tiny oh. in comparison. The logistics and um, and coordination and distribution required to, to get the raw materials, make the chocolate, and have it sitting on every shelf everywhere in the world at all times is is miraculous it's mind-blowing and the, the capital investment the labor the engineering the know-how to achieve that feat is it's, spectacular it, it's so hard that that actually dips into the dark side a little bit because yeah that, yeah. that kind of chocolate is in is it's absolutely associated with child slavery on african cacao farms because it's so complex to that first step of producing the cacao and getting it harvested and processed and in the, the in many places in Africa there are, there is slavery literally slavery associated with chocolate with the cacao harvest which taints in my mind it's similar to I I I I don't know why this hasn't caught on yet but you know diamonds so there's a whole thing about slavery free diamonds now and about blood diamonds and things like that chocolate should be that way because a lot of that industrial supermarket yeah. chocolate is tainted with association with literally child slavery well, literally well, nine-year-old kids sold from one country into another it's, country and it's still and happening forced, it's still and forced to work on cacao farms it's a horrific horrific thing well so it goes and here's another now so now we complimented these guys for the, I'm complimenting them on the, their scope the, and on vision it, of their industrial I, I, prowess and their but logistical the, prowess. But yes. but the other the other piece of this equation, I've written about this quite a lot in our emails, is the distribution system required to to achieve that feat has so many people taking markups, so many distributors, so many buyers and sellers of cocoa beans throughout the supply chain. But then the people who actually buy chocolate, because like you said, this this slavery free chocolate movement hasn't totally caught on yet mm-hmm. they're they're expecting to go to, the, go to the grocery store and pay a price that's that's very low mm-hmm. and, right because it's what they're used to paying for for a low quality chocolate well that low price has to work its way back through the supply chain with all these different people getting a profit getting a cut so that by the time it actually gets back to the jungle like you said in, in africa the economics of the entire supply chain require slave labor it's and, re- and require farmers to be literally dirt poor. And when I say dirt, literally, dirt I mean, they live right, in houses right. made of mud, dirt, so dirt houses. Yeah. The, 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 other per- the other people involved in the dark side, and again, we're not talking about taste, eat what you want, but there is an, eth- uh, an extremely important ethical consideration there really that, is. Cho- that chocolate lovers need to take into account if you continue to patronize a big chocolate company be- specifically because they have the lowest price. If that's the reason you're choosing that company, because you're looking at the shelf, you're going, that's cheaper. I'm getting that one. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're you're setting into motion a chain of events that inherently requires some pretty unsavory stuff to occur at, at, at origin. That just what that's just the economic reality of and the, by the situation. Way, and you I yeah. mean you can and you're you're a free, you're a free agent. We live in a free country. You can choose to to do business with companies. That, that don't require that to be a part of their supply chain. It's your choice. Well, and, and I'm sure in the 17 and 1800s, a lot of people in a lot of parts of the world wore clothes made out of cotton without working back through the ethical chain of consequences. And Absolutely. they weren't they weren't bad people. They weren't doing an evil they didn't thing. Know. They may not have known, or they may not, they may have just been living their busy life and not had a moment to think about it. But it's something that we should throw out there, which is that yes, when you're ha- and not just Hershey's or Mars, but I mean, if you go to a lot, a lot of, if you go to to target and look at the chocolate section and you see a big bar of chocolate, that's, that's maybe, uh, you know, four to six ounces of chocolate and it's two 99, it's two 49. There's absolutely no way that that chocolate represents anything but abject poverty and potential slavery at the production at the cacao production end of the process that's it um, that's exactly it's just, right. there's not enough money for people to, to 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 that's not enough money to filter back to the farmer in anything like a just or or just, there's just no there's no social justice in that i'm not i'm not I don't consider myself a social justice warrior, but I know a thousand cacao farmers. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. I want them to 
succeed. Well, and so the deal is, yeah, right. Well, you're talking about the you're using the word justice, and so let's yeah. let's just lay down. Look, we're not preachy people. We're regular. No, people. no, we're not. But, we don't. T- we, but, I don't think we've ever even gotten into this before. No, really. but ba- basically, if you're thinking about the justice part of it, you're paying two ninety nine and getting a huge block of chocolate in an air conditioned store. Mm-hmm. and then you're going to get in your air-conditioned car you're going to drive back your house you're going to eat that in 10 seconds without thinking about it mm-hmm. and it's going to be totally meaningless to you so that's what you get that's what that's what you got for your time right. all the way back on the other end because of that decision somebody's yeah you mentioned slave labor but somebody's doing hard hard physical labor 14 to 15 hours a day under the blazing hot sun there's not hospitals near them the healthcare doesn't exist the education for their kids doesn't exist and they don't have bathrooms with real plumbing. Like uh, when it rains, it floods out their entire village and their houses get washed away. Like that, that that's, what's in the balance. You got something super easy and you, and it ended up because of that decision being really hard. And that, that's what, I think that's what a lot of people are trying to get at when they're talking about social justice. Although in this case, in this particular case, the answer isn't what most social justice, this is my opinion, Brian, I'm not speaking for you, but mm. the answer that most social, social justice warriors have here is to bring the government in. And maybe there's some room for that, but also each individual can make a choice yeah. in favor of justice, which is really a, a free, yeah, a free market decision to just do business in a way that evens out the playing field a little right. bit and, and, I- and, and gives, gives the farmers back at the source a chance to, to get ahead in their life. Go ahead, Ryan. I like to imagine that as we're talking about this and some people are maybe hearing this for the first time and getting educated on it, that, that, that there are people Absolutely. Of, of integrity that are going to start thinking about this and make their own conclusions and learn and get, and get into learning a little bit about it. And yeah. that's, that's all you can do is try to shine your light in the world. Right now, bro, I know you have to get out. So we'll uh, get into the conching on the podcast. next episode. Yeah, we're going to get into conching and tempering, which are the two magic steps without which all of it have, would have been for naught, uh, as, as every step is. So um, this is good, Adam. This is really good. Yeah. We, talk, we, talked about, we, uh, we talked about the grinding. We talked about the mixing, refining, and melanging. Uh, talked a you little like bit more saying about- melanging, I can tell. Well, yeah, I have a little flair. Yeah. You know, and I can tell the, you like that. Word with flair. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's not good, to love? Good stuff, bro. I won't you go go ahead and sign us out with the official Fortune Out of Number Four Jim. Before I do that, I just want to remind everybody that Christmas is coming. If you're thinking about getting Christmas chocolate, go on over to fortunatochocolate.com. Get your stuff now. It's in stock. Uh, as of now, there are no shipping delays that would cause any problems, but that situation may change. It started to change at about this time last year. So hopefully that's not going to be the case. The pandemic is not as strong. Um, and hopefully that they have or, uh, uh, sort of like arranged things to be a little bit more efficient on the U.S. Postal Service's end. But just in case, if you're worried about it, if you think that there might be delays, go ahead and get your order in now and we'll get it out to you uh, as quickly as possible. And we just want to thank everybody for listening, for buying and for being part of this great uh, adventure that we're on. Yeah, so thank, thank you all, Brian. Hit us with the jingle before we sign up. Fortunato, yum! All right, everybody. Have a good one. We'll talk to you later. Bye now.